0: Feel good. You're looking good. Anybody told you that yet this morning? Did you look good? Turn the person beside you and say you look good. Say it with some attitude now. Come on. <clears throat> uh, it's good to be home. It was uh, it was good to be away. Karen and I had an opportunity to do a little bit of uh, vacationing and uh, seeing some other parts of the good old US of A, and uh, we had a wonderful time. It's good to be home. It was it's awesome to be able to put. Uh, things, to put you, that's really what it comes down to for me is, is you know, trusting somebody with our people, and because uh, we have just such a wonderful, beautiful group of people, and and it's awesome to know we have the kind of staff that I can just go away, and I know, man, they'll be loved extremely well, and uh, Jonathan's done a phenomenal job while I was gone, has he not? In fact, I wrote right here, I said, "John has Jonathan has been masterfully, that's awesome out there, isn't it? That's $10 right there, buddy. Leading us through our series called Oddballs. And so if you haven't been here, uh, maybe this is your first Sunday, we've been looking at this series, and we've been looking at some of the least known people in the Bible. Honestly, it's people that you've never really heard of before. And can I just say, like, I think I drew the the best card of all. Because we're going to talk about, I mean, this has got to be like one of the very least known people in the Bible, best unknown stories of all. It's the story of Ehud. So let me just show hands right now. How many of you have ever heard of, of Ehud? Is there anybody's hands up? Two. And Jonathan, the only reason you know that is because we, we did the research. Yeah, it's awesome. See what I'm talking about? Nobody has ever really heard of this guy. And so, for people who think that the, that the Bible is, is dull and boring, then you don't know the story of Ehud. Honestly, And this is what I love about this story. There's times in in this story where it kind of sounds like a seventh-grade boy is telling the story. I mean, it really does. And so you're going to find that. You're going to come. In fact, some of you are probably going to think, I think you should have left that part out. Like, really, can you say that on a Sunday morning? And I wondered. I really did. After I got into the story and started studying the story and looking literally at what is said in this story I really thought, I wonder why we as pastors have not really preached this story a whole lot, why we've not talked about it. And my guess is, is it because there's some stuff in there that we probably don't know how to present on a Sunday morning. And I just think it's awesome. And so I'm going to have a lot of fun presenting this stuff this morning, as you probably will see. I may get a little too much into it, in fact. Anyway, it has a compelling uh, cloak and dagger storyline, and literally, there's a dagger, in the story. In addition to some really sneaky spy stuff that's in the story, this really bad, oppressive king is described as a very fat man. See, you don't know what to do right now. You don't know that, that can we laugh? Because that's not politically correct, right? So maybe that's another reason why we've never used this story on a Sunday morning, because it literally says that he was not just a fat man, but that he was a very fat man. And so just to make sure I understood what the word meant, I did a little word study, and here's what it means. When it says that he was a very fat man, it means that he was huge. Y'all just really aren't with me right now. I can tell. I'm looking at you. You still don't know what exactly to do with this part of the story, right? It's awesome. It even says that he was so fat that when Ehud stabbed him, his fat, this big blubber, so you can tell I'm having a little fun right now, right? Closed over not only the blade, but also the handle. Like it totally. It's awesome. And this was no sissy knife, in case you're thinking, you're probably thinking, well, you know, it's probably a little little Swiss army. No, really, according to, to scholars this, this dagger, which really reminds me more of a sword, was somewhere between a foot and a foot and a half. I told you, he was a fat man. He was huge. He was in a class by himself because nobody else would fit. I've been waiting on weeks to deliver that line. I thought it was awesome. Anyway, all this leads to a part of the story where the king's guards are totally unaware of the imminent danger to the throne. And This is a really good part as well because they're thinking, and I'm not making this up, they're thinking that the king's on the potty. The toilet, for those of you that maybe aren't from Greer, not sure what, what potty means, Yeah. But the thing of it is, he's in there for a really, really, really long time, and he's the king, and they're too embarrassed to knock on the door and to see if he's okay. And that's the part that sounds a little bit like a 7th grade boy, like maybe would be telling the story, like this would be a part that he would want to bring out, you know. And and it's in the Bible, and I'm going to share that to you in a minute. So let me give you a little bit of background, because I honestly think that when it comes to even the book of Judges, I think that we can look at the book of Judges, and maybe right off the bat you're thinking, ooh, like I don't want to read the book of Judges. Because it must be about a book about judges. And so some of you are probably thinking, dude, I, I'm already you know fearful of being judged, so I would never want to read the book of Judges. Well, hang on. Let me give you a little background. The book of Judges, really what it does is it exposes the sin of rebellion. And if you know anything about the children of Israel, then really you're thinking, well, what's new? Because like the whole Old Testament, that's all it is. It's the children of Israel, you know, like, doing what was right in their own eyes. In fact, there's twice in the book of Judges that literally the verse says, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so, like, that's a classic story, not just of the book of Judges. It's a classic story of the children of Israel. Like, and so they would do what was right in their own eyes, and then they would repent, and then God would forgive them, and then there would be a time of peace, and then they would go right back to the same old stuff again, right? So everyone did what was right in their own eyes and the spiritual and moral breakdown had economic and military consequences for the nation as well. And I think sometimes we miss that. And I wonder even, and I'm not this guy really, but I wonder if we look at the state of our nation, could it be the state of our nation is that we have been doing what was right in our own eyes for a very long time. Could it be? So when we look at not just The consequences of sin that we experience, but could we? I'm just saying, it's just a question, it's not in my notes, I'm already meddling, I can tell. I wonder if we could be experiencing as a nation the consequences of rebellion that has, that extends beyond just the spiritual. So soon they were defeated by invading armies and they were forced to pray, uh, pay oppressive taxes and, and tributes uh, to these foreign kings. And one of these kings was the really, really fat, the huge guy. His name was Eglon. And he was a Moabite king. And in alliance with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, Israel, Israel was oppressed. I think this is A huge part of the story, they were oppressed for 18 years. How many years? 18 years. And that's where Ehud enters the story. So let's jump in. Judges chapter 3, verse 15. But when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, like, yeah, 18 years after. I I think that's kind of another part of the story. You know, like, 18 years? Like, maybe they were slow learners, but then, you know what, honestly, I've looked at my own life and I've thought, how long has it taken me to kind of wake up to some things spiritually? Hello, anybody else besides me? Anybody else that would say, you know what, it's easy for us to read the Bible sometimes, maybe the Old Testament, and look at these guys and you think, how could they be such idiots? And then when I look at my own life, I think, you know what, sometimes my life is just a mirror image of what they're doing. Anyway, that was free, it didn't cost you anything. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. And I think this is an amazing part of the story. So he hears us when we pray, even when we don't deserve for him to listen. Because I probably do the wrong thing, but sometimes I, I read Scripture and I think, what would I do if I were God? And so, like, if I were God, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, like, if I were God, I would say, like, you waited 18 years. It took you 18 years to finally wake up and to realize what you had with me and what you don't have with these other pagan gods that you've chosen to worship. And so I would, if, it were, if I were God, I'd say, okay, buddy, now you wait 18 years. But he's, he really is a good, good father. He's a, he's a father. He's my heavenly father. And I think that's awesome. He's not just a God sitting up way up in heaven somewhere on a throne, but he's, he's a father that cares about his kids, even when his kids don't deserve for him to listen. So the Lord raised up for him, a, for them a, a deliverer. A deliverer. So he hears us when we pray, even when we don't deserve him for him to listen. And he, and, he, and he sends them a deliverer. Now that word deliverer is really where we get our word judge. Now does the book maybe of judges take a little bit different appeal to you? And really if you look at this particular word It could mean that what God did was he sent them a hero. He sent them an assassin. He sent them a deliverer. So, the children of Israel have been doing what was right in their own eyes for 18 years. I mean, complete idiots, completely walking away from God, walking to other gods. And so, they, they finally realize that they're wrong. And so, they turn around, they pray, and God listens to their prayer. And he sends them a judge, a hero, A deliverer, in this case, literally, it's an assassin to rescue his people from this really fat, evil king. I'm probably getting into that way too much, don't you think? So God sends Ehud of Gera, the Benjamite. Now, that probably, when you just read the story, you probably think, well, that's no big deal, right? He was just a Benjamite. It's just another little bitty detail. But really, it's a crucial detail in the story. Benjamin was already one of the smallest tribes to begin with, but there was this event, and the event's interesting. The re, the event's really corded, recorded in the last part of the book of Judges, but the event took place in the beginning of the book of Judges. Is that a little bit weird? I think God does that to us sometimes just to kind of throw us off. Maybe he doesn't. I think he has a sense of humor, so I can see kind of him just grinning, going, yeah. You gotta read a little more. You gotta study a little more. You gotta get in here a little bit more. But one of those stories at the end of Judges concerns this this little tribe of Benjamin. And here's what happened. The other tribes who were much larger. These other tribes attacked Benjamin because what happened was they refused to turn over the men of a Benjamite city for a horrid gang rape and murder of an innocent girl. And it was a really short, because they were already small. It was a really short but brutal war that was fought in three battles, and as a result, the tribe of Benjamin went from 26,700 fighting men to less than 600, get this, in less than a week. You're probably thinking like me, yeah, it deserves them right. So this tribe of Benjamin was all but wiped out because of this na- really nasty moral outrage, and Ehud was one, of the, he was one of the few survivors. And so I think it's important that you got to understand right up front because God sent, God sent a hero. He sent an assassin. He sent a deliverer for his people out of a tribe of nobodies. They just didn't have a great reputation. So it says, But when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, Gera, a Benjamite, and then it says a left-handed man. So you're probably thinking again, no big deal, right? It's left-handed, no big deal. A lot of people are left-handed. You might be thinking that him being left-handed is no big deal, but it's honestly another really, really big part of this story. The Hebrew term translated in our Bibles left-handed it's literally a term that means defective in the right hand. So how many of you are left-handed? Any left-handed people? And I raised my left hand. Isn't that cool? So the Bible's just saying you're defective. Sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're probably freaking out right now thinking, I can't believe you already told me in church. No, I'm just kidding. Hang on. Remember, remember those of you that are left-handed, this is a chosen man to be a deliverer, a hero. Am I out of the woods yet? Am I doing okay? There are some Bible scholars that believe that this means that Ehud was handicapped in his right hand. It's interesting. You should just sometimes maybe go to the Internet and just start looking up some stuff, looking up some commentaries, because it's interesting. I find it at least interesting that sometimes they don't, even commentators, even great theologians don't know what to do with certain stuff, and so it's like they just make stuff up at some point, you know. It was normal to be right-handed. Maybe it sounds Better to think that he was (coughs) defective in his right hand, so he had to use his left hand. What if he was just raised up? God made him to be left-handed. Well, then we don't know what to do with the story as much. Left-handed people, at least in this time, were considered and thought to be inferior and defective. So are you following the story? Like, if you're keeping up with the story, I mean, there was nothing in Inhood's resume that would convince us that he should be the guy. I mean, really, there's nothing. He certainly doesn't sound like a deliverer. He doesn't sound like a hero. He doesn't sound like he'd be a very good assassin. A judge? I mean, the Bible mentions no outstanding qualifications. There's no remarkable attributes. He literally, at this point of the story... He is just a left-handed Benjamite, and there's nothing good about that. It's remarkable, unremarkable at best. He, listen, at, at worst, he would be, have been considered to be a loser. And I think that's important because I think that we live in the day of superstar pastors. And I think, that, no kidding, I think that we live in the day of superstar pastors, and I think that we live in the day of... Superstar worship leaders. And I didn't even know such a thing existed. I understand there's even I don't even know what to call it. Who am I kidding? I don't know if it's a Facebook thing. I don't even know what it is, but there's this thing out there on the web, this this site for pastors who wear really expensive sneakers. Did I just make that up? I didn't thank you, Jonathan, because I know he knows. I didn't just make that up. And so I I literally read where there were some pastors there they're wearing shoes like pair of tennis shoes? (laughs) And then I said, man, first 10 years Karen and I were married, neither one of us had cars that were worth that much. I know, it just shows my age. I know, I get it. So it's easy, right? It's easy to look at the Bible and still to pick out superstar heroes and to forget that God uses the very ordinary. Hmm. You don't have to be a superstar to be used by God. Maybe I'm the example of that. And if that's the case, then I'm proud to be. But you really shouldn't be surprised. I mean, you really shouldn't. Now, some of you are brand new to church and you're brand new to the Bible, and hopefully this will intrigue you to at least maybe want to read a little bit more of the Bible. See, the same God that used a left-handed failure is the same God that used a little runt, a little runt, a little pimple-faced runt shepherd boy named David to defeat a nine-foot giant with a sling and a stone who is also the same God that used a stuttering man in the Old Testament named Moses to confront a tyrant leader and he led his people out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. And that is the same God. If you really look at the New Testament, that is the very same God that used uneducated fishermen to conquer the Roman Empire with the gospel of peace and love. Peace and love. Let me say it one more time. Peace and love. That doesn't make sense. The Roman Empire... Are you kidding me? Who had the, 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 the biggest army in the world that was feared by everyone, and he uses 12 dumb, ignorant fishermen, uneducated, and their weapon was the gospel. Come on now, that's good stuff. <clears throat> and that's the very same God that can use you. See, it just seems to me, I love this story, because it seems to me that, that with God, the more disadvantages you have, the more qualified that you are. I've had people to meet say to me over the years way back in, when I was in traditional church, and we had a thing called, what did we call it, uh, a nominating committee. And uh, so we, you know, we would struggle with the nominating committee. And so a nominating committee, some of you are looking at me like, what? And it's a thing, <clears throat> a committee. And so we would have like teachers, Sunday school teachers and so forth. And so their job was to nominate people for these positions. And I remember that, you know, we, that was our job. And so we'd go to these people, and like it seemed like every single time they would say, oh, a pastor, I'm not worthy. Thank you, I appreciate you thinking about me, but oh, I'm not worthy. I always wanted to say I didn't, but I always wanted to say, well, if you think we had anybody better, we'd be asking you. I mean, we're at the bottom of the barrel. You're you're all we got. So let me ask you something. Do you have a disadvantage in your life? Maybe you're under the impression that your sin has disqualified you, and maybe you got that from the church. Certain sins in the church aren't tolerated. Other sins, however, it's always amazed me, are tolerated. We put down one group of people, but this group of people over here, somehow they're okay. And so maybe you've been under pressure. The sin, my sin, disqualifies me from being able to be used by God. Maybe you feel like you're a no-name from a no-name family. Maybe you look at your family. Honestly, I'm the only preacher in my family. I mean, that shouldn't surprise you. I mean, look at me. Listen to me. I mean, you think, no, you didn't have a history of it. Like, you didn't learn all of your stuff from a a great lineage of pastors. No, I didn't. So maybe that's been your thing. Ah, Nobody in my family's ever did anything great for God. Are you kidding me? Most of us don't even go to church. Maybe there's some nasty mistake that you've made, this huge moral failure in your life, and you're just convinced, someone convinced you that you can no longer be used by God. That is a lie. It's a big old hairy lie. Nothing limits God. He makes assets out of our liabilities. But he does need this. He does require one thing from you, just one thing, your full surrender. Let's read on. So Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubic in length. See, I told you. (laughs) This was a long dagger, 18 inches perhaps. And he fastened it on his right thigh under his clothes. So now, just so you know, now being left-handed is actually to his advantage. It's to his advantage because he can hide it He can hide his his dagger. See, the guards would have assumed that if anybody was going to be there to be a deliverer, to be a judge, to be a hero, it would have been a right-handed man, not a left-handed man. Left-handed people were considered to be inferior. They were considered to be defective. Maybe maybe his right hand was crippled. And so they would have looked and said, well, there's no need for us to worry about you. We're looking for a right-handed man who would have had his weapon to his left eye so that he could have pulled it easily. They would not have looked for a left-handed man who would have had that Dagger, that that sword, that long knife attached to his left thigh. Ha! Suddenly his disadvantage became a huge advantage. Is this an awesome story or what? Then he presented the tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. Told you. When he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent the people Who carried the tribute on their way? I, every time I read that, I think, man, how, what was this tribute? It had to be something huge. It took more than one person to take it. This is kind of the spy stuff that I was telling you about. So Ehud is going to the king to pay this crazy tax thing, or at least that's what they think. He's left handed, nobody expected for him to be an assassin. They would would have laughed. They would have said, are you kidding me? They don't have to worry about him. We don't have to check him. We don't have to pat him down. We don't have to put him through the metal detector. He's a left-handed man. He's inferior. He's a loser. He wouldn't have the smarts or the ability to do anything. So he uses this excuse of paying the tax, and it just gets him in to see the king. But he himself turned back. At the sculptured stones near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. So the king said, Silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. Man, this is awesome. So Ehud, this is important. This is really, really important. He's on a mission to deliver his people. He's on a mission to deliver his people who are in bondage. and he's already considered to be inferior. He comes from a no-name tribe who in fact if you read do a little study we're all considered to be left-handed. And he has a few guys with him and he sends them home. So like he's all by himself. And the king is somehow so intrigued to hear this secret message the secret message from God that he sends all his people out. And so it's just, it's just Ehud and Eglon, they're all alone. He was willing to put his neck on the line, this no-name, from a no-name tribe. This inferior, left-handed, crippled, right-handed man. What if, what if Eglon had refused his request for a private audience? What if he said, I got a secret message here? What if he said, nah, I don't think so, Skippy? Ain't happening here. I'm gonna keep my boys right here. What, what would you have done then? What 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 if what if the guards had entered the chamber? What if they'd heard the king scream? What if they had rushed in? What if they'd caught him? <coughs> He could have failed at any point. Yet this unremarkable man, this unremarkable, unremarkable man demonstrated remarkable faith in a remarkable God. And I just think that's awesome. And just so you know, another little point of the story I just think you should know is that there were other judges that are named as well, Deborah, Gideon, Samson, all received assurances or special signs from God that they would be victorious. In fact, Gideon said, you've got to show me some signs. If you want me to do this thing that you've called me to do, okay, cool, but I've got to at least know that I'm going to be victorious. Let me, tell you what, let me tell you what this no-name guy gets. You know what he gets, this left-handed man, this maybe defective in his right hand, you know what he gets? Nothing. He, he, gets, he gets absolutely nothing. He's just willing to take the risk. Maybe in his mind, maybe in his mind, he thought, what do I have to lose? Nobody thinks I'm anybody anyway. But somehow God has shown favor on me that he's called me to do this thing. He called me. This inferior, defective, from a tribe that's really considered to be nasty. I don't care what he asked me to do. Incredible faith just isn't about playing it safe. It's keeping it predictable. That's what I've learned in my life. It's about daring to go where no man has ever gone before. I just can't. I'm sorry. I wrote something different, but every time I look at what I wrote, that's what I think of. It's daring to go where no man's gone before without faith. I guess the bottom line is, where there is no risk, there's really no faith. Then it says this, who came to him while he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber. That sounds so poetic. The cool roof chamber. And said, I have a message from God for you. So he rose from his seat. Then he Yehud reached into, with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and he thrust it into Eglon's belly. The hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat enclosed over the blade. So I wasn't making this stuff up. I told you, it's in the Bible. For he did not draw out the sword out of his belly, and the dirt came out. And the dirt came out. I want to read this little part from another translation. <laughs> The dagger went so deep in the handle, disappeared beneath the king's fat, so Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. This is that little seventh grade boy part I was telling you about. This sounds really awesome. Another another translation, are you interested? (laughs) Another translation says his bowels discharged. So when I got to that part, I thought, I don't blame him. I would have said, man, you can have my knife. You, ke- do this yours. I got some boys. We'll make another one. You can have that one. That's just nasty. And then I honestly, and I've asked the Lord this for weeks because, you know, we write these messages weeks and weeks in advance. And so I really asked the Holy Spirit, I said, why would you put that in the Bible? Like, really, why, why that detail, all the details, why did you, you know, why did you decide to include that? He didn't give me anything. I think he just has a sense of humor. That's what I think. I think, so. I'm going to mess with you preacher boys on Sunday morning. How are you going to dance around that one? And, and my reply was, we just don't preach it. <laughs> we just don't talk about it. How do we? Nah, it's awesome. Then he went out into the vestibule and closed the doors of the roof chamber on him and locked him, locked them. After he had gone, the servants came, and when he saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, (laughs) go ahead, read it. He must be relieving himself. In the cool chamber. Would you like me to show you some other translations of relieving himself? I I think you probably, he's in the potty. So like if you're completely oblivious... Super spiritual and religious and don't know what this means. He's in the potty. So they waited until they were embarrassed. And we still did not open the doors of the roof chamber. They took the key and they opened them. There they found their Lord lying dead on the floor. Is this not the best story in the Bible or what? I just think you should go, like, to work tomorrow and say, man, guys, I got a story for you. (laughs) i got a story for you that I bet you've never read, I bet you've never heard, and it's in Judges 3. It's an awesome story. But just because King Eglon, if you remember, there were three kings, there were three major kings that they were subject to. So it would, just because Eglon was dead didn't mean that their troubles were over, but it, it it did rally the children of Israel. And according to verse 30, that day Moab was made subject to Israel and they had peace for 80 years. Is that I love I love the God that I serve because there is no such thing as a disadvantage. There is no such thing as being defective. There is no sin too great that God cannot forgive. There is nothing that cannot be overcome. I probably told this story more times than I should have. I remember not too many years ago, when, maybe in, in, in our, our heyday, when, when literally I met with the guy I did lunch. He said, you know what? What's going on at Springwell is absolutely amazing. He said, it's amazing because <laughs> I know that you and your staff are, are not amazing. I said, what? I'm not kidding you. He really, he said, no, nah, nah, no, trying. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just saying, really, you're just like your average, everyday, common kind of people. You're not superstars. And I said, you know what? You're right. And that's a compliment. Because whatever happens here, you know it's not because of the great talent and abilities of men or women. It's God. Sometimes the reason that we don't see big victories in our lives is because we just don't have enough faith to believe that God could or that He would. Maybe the would part is the bigger part, right? Because if you ask me what I believe about God, I would tell you that God is awesome. He's huge. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and I could expound upon all of those things that make God God. It's not that I don't believe God could. My struggle over the years is, but would would God possibly be able to use somebody like me? and I've never really been shy about sharing my weaknesses and my struggles with you and hopefully what you've been able to see over the years is that if God can use somebody like Scott there's hope for me and I'm not trying to put myself down I'm just trying to show you who God is that's all God's just waiting on you to say okay I'm willing to take the risk. So following God is risky. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. Is it worth it? Absolutely it's worth it. I have an amazing life. Has it been trouble free? Oh my gosh, no. I have experienced death as much or more than anybody in this room. God's never, ever, ever left me. So is there a big fat sin in your life? Let's just be honest. Is, is there a big fat unconfessed sin in your life? That's standing in the way. And is that the thing this morning that says, how could God use somebody like me? Look at me. Is there a failure in your past? Is there a habit, an addiction that's oppressing you? We have an incredible God who does incredible things through insignificant people who have an incredible faith, not in themselves, in Him. So if that's you and you say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I struggle. And I've I've allowed myself to believe the lies, and I'm insignificant, and I'm a nobody, and I cannot be used. And I needed this message. But I need some prayer. And this, I love this church because we can just like raise our hand in times like this and nobody judges anybody. It's like we're all probably raise our hand. But if that's you, could you just slip up your hand and say, yeah, man, could you pray for me right now? Yeah, you're awesome. So let me pray for you. Lord, there are those of us that slipped up our hand. Oh, my goodness, Lord. How many years have I struggled understanding my position in you? The only time the devil ever tells me the truth is when he's pointing out my sin. And he always points out my sin, and he uses a magnifying glass to expose it. Lord, for those of us that have struggled, we're your kids, but we've struggled. We, we think that we're defective, that we're not good enough, how could God use us, that we could take this story this morning, God, and could breathe life into us, to know that there's no such thing as an impossibility with you. Every head's still bowed, every eye's still closed. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you just feel like your sin has disqualified you from being able to have a relationship with God. And if that's you, then that's a really good thing because your sin, you're right, it's separating you from God. It is. And the good thing is you know it. But what you may not know is that that's why it's so important for you to understand that God sent His Son, Jesus, that he was totally sinless, and that jesus shed his blood on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins no matter what you've done i want you to understand that god loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to go to the cross and on the cross pay the penalty give his life for your sin he died he he was buried and he rose again And how are you made right with him? By simply just running the risk to fully surrender your life to Jesus. Is it a risk? It's going to feel like a risk. So, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, then maybe you'd pray a prayer something like this right there in your seat, just quietly, silently. Maybe you'd say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I know it I need you to save me from my sins so I've been literally I've been doing what was right in my own eyes and I want to turn away from that and I want to turn to you so Jesus I believe that you died for me and that you rose again and to the best of my ability I'm just asking for your forgiveness forgive me Forgive me for all my sin. Cleanse me. And this morning, I want to fully surrender my life to you. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Father, thank you for the beauty of this morning. Thank you for the beauty of your written word that is just awesome. Thank you, Lord, that you put in details that may sound like a little 7th grade boy for people like me who need to grab hold of stories sometimes God that may seem off to everyone else but they're real thank you for your incredible love it's your sweet name that we pray Amen